Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank podcast. We love God, love people, and love our city. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org. Good morning. And before I get into the sermon today, I want to make an acknowledgement. I want to make an acknowledgement about where people are at in their lives at this moment. I know that there are many of us that are watching today that are going through really difficult times, whether that's losing loved ones or family or friends, whether you've lost a job or income, and things are really difficult. I know that there are many of us that are watching today that are not feeling well and are either in hospital or recovering or in a really bad place, and I want to acknowledge that. I also want to acknowledge that there are many of us watching today that are in a new season of life, whether that's a new season of love, a new season of work, a new season just of celebrating God's goodness in your life. And so as we go into God's Word today, I want to pray, and my hope is that no matter where you find yourself, God will meet you at this place where you are this morning. I've thoroughly enjoyed the season of an awesome God. It's been an incredible opportunity for us. Uh, what I've particularly enjoyed about the season is finding out the, the behind-the-scenes story about God's names and God's attributes. And it's been absolutely phenomenal. And so today we're talking about Al Shaddai. When I heard that I was preaching about Al Shaddai, my go-to point was Amy Grant's song, Al Shaddai. And so I immediately went to YouTube and started watching her song. And the moment I started watching her song, I immediately started praising the Lord that music has changed, particularly Christian music has changed over the last couple of years. And so, yes, I'm grateful for those early musicians, but I am grateful to God for the amazing work that new musicians are coming up with a great new songs. And so I couldn't use this song from Amy Grant around Al Shaddai. And so today we're looking at Al Shaddai, God Almighty. God's presence transforms our struggle into purpose. And so I want to start off today with a question. How many of you can remember the day you were born? I asked this question once and a, a participant in the room put his hand up and said, I remember the day I was conceived. I was like, yo, that's a little bit too much for me. Now, I personally can't remember the day I was born, but I do remember, and thank goodness, I do remember the day that my children were born. It was an incredible experience uh, when your children are born and, and, and you were given my daughter and my son for the first time. Uh, there's this deep sense of fear and joy all at the same time. The joy is because this is a life. It's incredible just to hold that newborn in your hands. The fear comes in where I was just petrified as a father. Do I have the skills to bring this life up? Can I, can I do what I need to do as a father in this child's life? And I'll never forget holding my children and praying God's blessing over their lives. But one of the most important things when, when you have children in your life is to give these children names. And Pastor Sai in week one gave us a real great insight into how different cultures around the world uh, name their children. And so whether you name your children based off of what's happening in your life, whether it's Ogogo that gives the name uh, to your child or is it names from other people in your family, however you got your name, it's fundamentally important because your name carries your identity, who you are and it's how you carry yourself throughout the world. William Shakespeare uh, in the uh, Romeo and Juliet play, he says, what is in a name? There's a lot in a name, particularly if you were Jacob. 
Now, Jacob, the son of Isaac and Rebekah, was a particularly interesting character in the Bible. His life was full of struggle. And maybe Jacob, if we had to ask Jacob, can you remember the day you were born? Jacob would say, I remember the day I was born. And not necessarily because he fundamentally remembers it himself, but because I think it was a, a, a time that in his family, when family got together, I'm sure his aunts and uncles would say, Rebecca, Sam, um, Rebecca and Isaac, can you remember when Jacob and, and Esau were born? Can you remember what it was like when, when your sons were pregnant? Uh, Rebecca, you remember what it was like having those twins fighting in your womb. And so Jacob would be reminded every single time his name was mentioned about his birth because the meaning of his name is the one that holds the heel, the heel. And we see that in Genesis 25 verse 26. And so Jacob, there was a struggle with Jacob and Esau in his mother's womb. We also realize that the struggle between Jacob and Esau wasn't just something that happened when they were children. It, it went into their adulthood. And so Jacob struggled with his brother. And we see that in Genesis 25, Genesis 27, whether it was him struggling over their birthright whether it was uh, Jacob lying to his father and taking the identity of his brother to get the blessing from his fa father. And so there was a struggle between the two of them to the point where Esau was ready to kill Jacob. Jacob also struggled with his father. And in Genesis 25 verse 28, we see that e J e uh, Isaac loved Esau. And so maybe there was this issue that Jacob didn't feel that his father truly loved him. And when Jacob got to this point where he lied to his father and his brother wanted to kill him because of stealing that blessing, Jacob had to flee and he, he fled to his uncle Laban. And when he arrived at his uncle Laban, there was a struggle between Jacob and Laban too. Remember, Jacob fell in love with Rachel. We see this in, in Genesis 29, 2 through 31, where Jacob fell in love with Rachel. And uh, he said to Laban, I'll work seven years for the hand of Rachel. And he worked seven years. And at the wedding day, he gets married to Leah. I don't know how it works, but I probably would love to ask this question when I get to heaven one day. How on earth did you get that confused, Jacob? And so he gets married to Leah because of cultural issues. And so he commits to working another seven years to get married to Rachel. And then there was also some interesting uh, uh, dilemmas and struggles between Laban and Jacob around sheep. And so if you're interested in sheep and the stories between sheep uh, and Jacob and Laban, I encourage you to go and read Genesis 29 and 31, and you'll find out everything that you need to know about that. But Jacob also struggled with God. And Jacob's struggle with God was not just the wrestling that he did with God, but fundamentally about the promises that J God had spoken over Jacob's life, his name, and his position in his family. You see, because from birth, Jacob was told that God had a promise for him, that the younger in the womb would lead the older, and that there were two nations inside of Rebekah. And so when Jacob starts to interact with God's promises, he feels that they're not coming right, particularly about what's happening in his family. And so Jacob was struggling with the promises of God and how they were being fulfilled in his life. And so I want to press cut for a moment. And let's talk about who this was intended for. And so when we look at the people of Israel, the book of Genesis was written for the people of Israel. Moses is writing to the people of Israel. He is reminding the people of Israel what happened to their forefathers. And so when jo Moses is writing the book of Genesis, 
uh, the people of Israel are in the, in the desert and they're wandering around the desert and they too are struggling with the promises of God because when they left Egypt, they were promised that they would enter into the land of milk and honey and that they would become a mighty nation. And yeah, they're living in tents, walking around the desert, and this doesn't feel like the promises of God. And they're getting to a point where they are now beginning to second guess what God has promised them. And so some of them are talking about going back to Egypt. Some of them are talking about coming up with their own ideas and creating their own God. And so when Moses is writing to the people of Israel, he is reminding them about their great, great, great grandfather, Jacob, that Jacob had the similar struggle that they had, that he was struggling with the promises of God and how it was lived out in his life. And in essence, Jacob is introducing the people of Israel to Al Shaddai the great almighty God. And so this morning, I want to remind you of God's promises in your life. Because I know for many of us, we might be going through really difficult times now and the promises of God don't really seem relevant in our lives. And so I want, just like Moses reminded the people of Israel, let us be reminded of Jacob this morning, that uh, even in our struggles, when, when Al Shaddai comes in, man, things begin to change. So, Let's go back to the story of Jacob and where we left off. So we, we're back with Jacob. He is living with his uncle Laban. He has two wives, 11 children. He has a staff component. He has sheep, cattle. His life is really going well at this time. And what happens is um, while he is busy going about his business, in Genesis 31 verse 3, the Lord said to Jacob, Go back to the land of your ancestors and your family, and I will be with you. That came as a shock to Jacob. Because even though he's been settled, he has a history. And now God is telling him to go back to his history, to go back to his brother, to go back to the mess that he had left behind. And so now in many ways, Jacob needs to go and confront his past. And so the question that we all have sitting on the edge of our couches with a coffee in our one hand and the rusk in the other hand, what will Jacob do? Would he go back and do it his own way? Or is he going to go back and do it God's way? Well, Genesis 32 verse 11 and 12 says this. Jacob is speaking to God and he says, Please rescue me from my brother Esau, for I am afraid of him. Otherwise he may attack me and the mothers and their children. And, and, and you have said, I will, be with, uh, I will cause you to prosper. I will make your offspring like the sands of the sea, too numerous to be counted. That is Jacob's response. So the first thing we see that Jacob does, that he confesses. He says in verse 11, please rescue me from my brother Esau. I am afraid of him. And so to experience Al Shaddai, God Almighty, we must re, um, realize our own weaknesses. And so when we confess our own weaknesses before God, that's when Al Shaddai, God Almighty, can begin to work. It's when we realize that I cannot provide for my family, that God begins to step in as Jehovah Jireh, as Jehovah Al Shaddai. It's when I realize that I've come to my at the end of who I am and my ability, that I can begin to rely on Al Shaddai. And so this morning, it's about how do we confess our weakness before God? Because when we are weak, He is strong in our lives. And so first, um, Jacob uh, confesses. 
The second thing that Jacob does is that he reaffirms God's word over his life. So in Genesis 20, uh, 32 verse 12, he says, he, he says, you have said, you will cause me to prosper and I will make your offspring the, like the sands of the sea, the sand of the sea, too numerous to be counted. And so Jacob is relying on God's word in his life as he begins to go through that. And so as we've been going through this 21 days of fasting and prayer, that is one of the things that have been highlighted for me, is that God, the importance of God's word in our lives. And so many of our prayers fall short because none of them have God's word in them. And none of them have God's word in them because very little of God's word is in us. And so as we pray, we need to be praying God's word. As we engage with our colleagues, we need to have God's word inside of us. You know, there's that uh, famous saying that says, when you squeeze toothpaste, what comes out is whatever you put inside. And so this year, as you get squeezed, what is going to come out uh, around you? And I'm hoping that it's going to be the word of God. And so putting the word of God in us is so important. And so remember, Jacob confessed and Jacob spoke God's word over his life. And so the story goes that Jacob sends his family ahead of him and he's left alone. And while he's left alone on his way to see his brother Esau, God appears to him as a man. And God begins to wrestle with Jacob. And this was one of my aha moments uh, in Genesis 20, uh, 32 verses 24 and 31. That I always thought that it was Jacob that wrestled with God. But in fact, it was God that picked the fight with Jacob. We see that God started to wrestle with Jacob. And so as I unpacked the story, I was reminded of a story of Brian Stevens, a social activist in the United States. And he shares two stories that stand out for me. The first story he shares of his grandmother. He says he was one of 12 or 11 grandchildren. And whenever he would visit his grandmother, his grandmother would come around and hug him really tightly to the point of where it almost hurt him. And then he, she would let him off and he would run around playing with his cousins. And later in the morning, she'd say, Brian, can you still feel me hugging you? And if he said no, she would come and hug him really hard again. And so he learned really quickly that when his grandmother said, Brian, can you still feel me hugging you? He would say, yes, grandma, I can still feel you hugging me. And when she was 90, uh, she was on her deathbed. Uh, death uh, he was sitting next to her and he was holding her hand. And while he was holding her hand, she said, Brian, can you still feel me? And he said, Grandma, yes, I can still feel you. And even after she passed away, Brian shares of stories that when he feels alone or when he's in a really difficult time, he can still remember his grandmother's hugging him. And I believe that when God was wrestling with Jacob, it was that holding tight to say, Jacob, will you remember me? And so when Jacob approaches his brother face to face, you could hear God whispering to Jacob, Jacob, can you still feel me? And when Jacob experiences the loss of his son Joseph a little bit later in Genesis, you probably would have heard God saying, Jacob, can you still feel me? And right now, where are you sitting? I hope that God is whispering to you, Simon, can you feel God? I am with you. Lerato, can you hear God saying to you this morning, can you still feel me? Alebo, can you feel God saying, are you still with me? Peter, can you still hear God saying, am I with you? And so I believe that when we're wrestling with God, when God is wrestling with us, it's not to hurt us, but to remind us that he's with us. And so when Jacob would leave that wrestling, he would remember that God was with him. 
The second story that Brian shares is of a 14-year-old boy uh, who was at home with his mom. His mom's boyfriend comes home and they get into a massive fight in the kitchen. The mom's boyfriend punches the little boy's mother in the face and she falls to the ground, hits her head as she falls to the ground on the table. And while she's laying on the floor, the little boy's uh, mother's boyfriend goes and lays down. The little boy rushes into the kitchen and his mom's laying on the floor and she's unresponsive. And so he thinks that his mom has died for all intents. She's not responding to him. And so on the way to the telephone to phone the ambulance, he remembers that her mom's boyfriend has a gun in the house. And so he goes and picks up the gun, walks to the mom's boyfriend, holds the gun over the man's head. And as he's doing this, the man gets startled, wakes up, and the little boy shoots the man in the head. The man dies. And because the man was a deputy sheriff, this 14-year-old boy that had no problems with the law before this needs to be tried as an adult. And so he's sent to an adult prison as a 14-year-old. And Brian has been asked to represent this young man at court. And so when Brian walks into the room to meet with this little boy, they sit down. And for the first 20 minutes, this little boy says nothing. No response at all. And Brian is trying to find out, like, I need some information from you to help you. And so eventually Brian gets up and walks around the table and sits next to the little boy and begins to lean into the little boy. And as he leans into the little boy and pushes the little boy, the little boy begins to push back. And as he begins to push back, they begin to embrace. And the little boy embraces him and breaks down and starts crying. And as he starts crying, he starts to tell Brian not what happened at his mom's home, but what has happened to him the last three days in this adult prison. And he shares how much he's been abused, that he can't remember who abused him or how many times he's been abused. And Brian comforts the little boy and says, I'm going to get you out of here. And as he's about to leave, the little boy holds on to Brian and says, don't leave me here. Don't leave me here. I believe this morning, where you're sitting, whether you're watching this in your car, whether you're watching this in the lounge or outside in the garden or taking a walk with your phone and watching I believe that for some of you, God is pressing into you. He's pushing you this morning. And I wonder what your response is going to be. Are you going to respond the same way as this little boy did? Because when God was pressing into Jacob, Jacob held on to God. And when God was about to leave and say, it is dawn, I'm leaving. Jacob said, you cannot leave me. You cannot leave me. I'm not letting you go. Just like that little boy was saying to Brian, I will not go. Don't leave me here. Jacob was like, don't leave me until you bless me. And this was little to do with his meeting with Esau. I believe that Jacob's fear of Esau was the tip of the iceberg because Jacob was still struggling with the promises of God, with his name and his position in his family. And so Jacob's crying out to God to help him and give him a blessing was to address that promise that he had. And so the God that was wrestling with Jacob says, I will bless you. And he gives him a name. He says, your name will no longer be Jacob, he said. You will be Israel. And we see this in Genesis 32, verse 28. Your name will no longer be Jacob. It will be Israel. And so El Shaddai enters Jacob's struggle and turns his struggle into purpose. But like many of us, when God speaks to us, when we engage with God, even this morning as we engage in with God's word, God is speaking to us, but some of us still don't believe. And so even after all of this that's happened to Jacob, he still doesn't truly believe that his name has been changed, that that promise is yea and amen until Genesis 35, 
where we read in verses 3, uh, 1 to 3, And God said to Jacob, Get up and go to Bethlehem and settle there. Build an altar to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his family um, and all that were with him, get, get rid of your foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves. Change your clothes. We must get up and go to Bethel. Uh, I will build an altar there to the God who answered me in the days of my distress. He has been with me everywhere I've gone. And then in verse 9 and 10, God appeared to Jacob um, after he had returned to Padamath Am. And, and he blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. You will no longer be, uh, your, your name is Jacob. You will no long, your name will no longer be Jacob, but you will be called Israel. And from that point on, it's an incredible experience. Because from that point on, God became known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. From that point on, God was really alive and well in Jacob's life. And that God turned Jacob's struggle uh, into a, a, a legacy way beyond what Jacob could have done by himself or with his own kind of things. And so this morning, when we think about our promises and how we engage with God, I believe that El Shaddai wants to step into your life this morning. That Al Shaddai wants to step into your struggle and turn your struggle into purpose this morning in the very same way that he did it for Jacob. And so I remember we started this morning saying, can you remember when you were born? Now, um, for many of us, I was listening to a, a podcast at the beginning of uh, December and it was Matthew McConaughey who was talking about, he believes uh, that when you're born, um, the director of the world, uh, God, if you want to call it, says uh, action and you have one life to live. Uh, one of my favorite movies, the, the back, uh, back bucket list says, um, one day you, your life will flash before your eyes. Make sure it's worth watching. And Matthew McConaughey says, when you die, the director will say cut and that is it. But when I look at Jacob's life, we were not meant to be one take wonders. When I look at Jacob's life, and his interactions with God and Al Shaddai. It's almost like every time that God engaged with Jacob, he would say, cut. And Al Shaddai, God would talk to Jacob, whether it was at the ladder, whether it was when he was with his uncle Laban, or whether he was wrestling with God. God would have these intimate times with Jacob to say, cut, let's reevaluate, let's do what we need to do. And so this morning, I believe for some of us, God is saying, cut. And Al Shaddai wants to step into your place and say to you, you need to change this, you need to do that. And so as we begin to understand who God is, Al Shaddai, I pray that God will step into your life and turn your struggle into purpose.